0: On this episode, we want to welcome our special guest, TikTok channel creator of everything junior hockey, Andrew Tufto. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Well, thanks for jumping on, man. Like, we've been watching your TikToks and we're super excited to get a chance to talk with you.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be on. I'm, I'm uh, ecstatic that you guys let me come on. I know that you got busy schedules and you got a lot of people that, that want to come on. So I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, we're starting to get oh, a lot of candy love. Right, right, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And just, just, at a time, Andrew, we're
0: slightly biased. Just, just, just give me the heads up. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but uh, to give our listeners a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, to know about you here, you know, tell us about who you are, your hockey life, and what led you to make basically TikToks that cover not only the Midwest West Division of the USPHL, but just kind of like junior hockey in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, so grew up in uh, Minnesota, you know, we were big hockey family, um, you know, played played the youth hockey down in Chaska, Minnesota. I went to high school in Victoria at a private high school, uh, holy family. Came out of there, I went to play in the Western States Hockey League for one year for the Colorado Outlaws, then I went on to play back home, uh, cool enough, in the Minnesota Junior Hockey League for two years, then I found myself back out in Colorado um, going to college and playing hockey. And then ultimately I had too many concussions. So I ended up stopped playing, uh, jumped right into coaching right as I was done playing. Um, came back home. I worked with Dave Suggard, who uh, was a big name guy in the NHL played for the golfers. Oh yeah. Yeah, Didn't he play for Buffalo? Uh, he played uh, He played for a lot of different teams. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I just my biggest memories of him were playing for the Gophers. Uh, like, you know, when we were kids, we'd always go to the Gopher games and and watch all those guys. Um, so and I was fortunate. I only coached youth hockey for two years with him and I got my first junior hockey job. Um, Back in the Minnesota Junior Hockey League um, up in Forest Lake, Minnesota, which is about, you know, hour and a half from the Twin Cities. Um, Started out there and then moved to a couple different teams. You know, we went out to Arizona in the Western States Hockey League, came back to Minnesota, started coaching high school hockey um, in 2018. And then COVID hit and, you know, they shut down all the rinks. You know, we couldn't coach. We couldn't do anything. And I stumbled upon TikTok. Um, yeah, I was found a couple of scouting jobs through some teams in the USPHL, and then I kind of sat there and, you know, I said to myself, you know, there's so many parents out there that just aren't educated enough on how junior hockey has changed so much. And so I started doing research, and I just didn't see a lot of accounts out there that were giving players and parents the raw truth. And so I had someone from the league reach out to me and they're like, you'd be great at doing this. Like, why don't you, you know, obviously like behind the scenes, they were like, you should do this. Like, I know you, you're just, you know, you like to tell the raw truth. You should do it. It's like, ah, it's a stupid idea. I don't know. So I made one or two videos and they like got like 13,000 views. And I was like, huh, I was like, maybe I can do this. And so I just kept on going at it, you know, posting two or three videos a day. And as the following started growing from like a thousand up to now, I'm going to think I'm at like 3,200. It's almost just, you know, it's an everyday thing for me. It's like I jump on there, I'm making videos, I'm replying to comments, I'm doing the research. And I think to date now I've probably helped, you know, in the last two months I've probably helped six kids get on new teams and help those parents realize that, you know, they weren't told the truth and how to find the truth and, and things like that. So, I mean, it's you know, it's just become a passion of mine. I Like I want to make sure that kids and parents don't fall into those you know, those bad situations. Cause when I played, I never had a bad situation. Like I, my brother and I were so fortunate to play for good teams, play for good schools, go to good junior hockey programs. You know, we never had any issues. So I feel like I kind of owe it to, you know, the parents and players to, to help them out.
0: And that's important because I think, Oh, junior hockey, the more I've gotten into it, there's so many, there's really so many great teams out there, but there's there's maybe just as many, maybe not as many, but it's not far off. We're probably talking 60-40. I want to just call them money-grab teams. And you hear it from the players, and, and like you, we have a lot of players uh, and parents reach out to us asking for our advice. And if I find out information from a player on a team and someone asks about that team, I'll be brutally honest about what I feel about that league or that team. And, I mean, shoot, we had a kid – reached out to us last year he decided to play in a team within the giant usphl so you can't identify which team it is Mm -hmm. and uh they promised him goalie coaching they promised him all this stuff and watching his games throughout the year i just saw his game slowly but surely slip reached out to him ask him how things were going um you know and then just kind of got into the question of like hey so how's the goalie coach situation working out Expecting what I got, which was unfortunate, which is I don't have one, even though it was promised to me to leave Canada and go down to the U.S. to play hockey. I don't have a goalie coach here, and I'm like, yeah, I can tell. And so I literally watched all of his games, and would just give him just a kind of a small report about things I saw in the game. You know, some positives, some minuses, some things to think about, some things to maybe ask the coaching staff to work on them with. And uh, I'm not part of that team, and another player that left the usphl to go play up in canada and was again promised certain things and once he got up there uh said yeah my host family was out in the middle of nowhere i had a lot of problems with this that and everything um and the team just kind of operated like a beer league uh players just didn't show up for practice they didn't show up for games because they didn't want to be there their families were going on a vacation um and uh, yeah, the promises that I got to be at the uh, higher level league um, to get that exposure and to get with that coaching staff never happened. Um, so, you know, an American player that goes up to Canada experiences the same thing. So it's a tough situation out there for a lot of these players and parents to understand the junior hockey world and what to look for.
1: Right, exactly. And I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, you can the resources are are endless. right? Like you can reach out to so many people, you know, not just me, and you can find out the truth. And I think that's my biggest message to parents and players is that don't be afraid to reach out. You had a kid from Finland two days ago, send me a message and say, Hey, you know what? I'm working with an advisor over in Finland, but Hey, I want your advice on this league. And I gave it to him straight. And he was kind of like, Oh, well, that's not, you know, that's not what I thought or what I was told or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know these are these are these kids lives like this is the game mm-hmm. that we grew up loving so much and you know for someone like myself where it ended too soon and i have to see other people still you know play like you know my brother is you know now in his second year of pro hockey with the coyotes organization and, you know, it's like you never know when it's going to end and you just you have to be smart with the decisions you make. And like all the videos that I make on all of the leagues as a whole, like whether it's the GMHL or the NA3 or the USPHL or even the EHL, it's like there are always teams in those leagues that are money grabs. And if you're not going to take the time to do your research and to reach out to someone, then it's, it's your own fault. then, Right. I mean, it's just it's on you if you don't reach out.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's a big financial investment. And to be able to find someone who is maybe a little bit more informed, and I don't want to steer these kids wrong. When they reach out, when the parents reach out, they say, what do you think of this? What do you, I'm going to tell them what I know, period. Positive or negative, I'm going to tell them what I know. And there's some teams that do things right, absolutely do things right. And then I, I dig, I personally just dig a little deeper on teams. I'm like, I'm getting some good vibes from this team. I'm seeing what they're doing. I'm like, oh, this is sick. I like how they set this up. I like how they do this. And then the other teams where, honestly, sometimes you could, all you have to do is watch how the team's performing on the ice. And sometimes that tells you a lot about how things might be happening within the organization.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, not like not that a record is everything, you know, to a junior hockey team, but I do think that, you know, I think that is a big aspect too. I think a lot, a lot of the things that I put out there too, um, that are so simple. It's like, Hey, listen, like, you know, do they have their own locker room? Um, are, are they taking a bus or vans to, to all the away games? Like if they're making their players drive themselves to away games, which there are some teams in the USPHL and the NA3 that do do that. It's like, that's a red flag, Mm -hmm. right. Or, you know, if they're asking for, if they're asking for, you know the full payment up front instead of helping you break it up monthly red flag too like there's so many just like you have to just break it down on all these red flags and i've had two parents already say yeah listen like we paid up front and we didn't know any better and i felt bad telling them but i was like that was your first mistake like your first mistake was paying up front because if you dissect a junior hockey contract if you pay up front fully and you want to trade or release you are not entitled to get any of that money back right like it versus if you yeah. were to pay, versus if you were to pay monthly and you want to release then you're good so it's just like it's little things like that and when it costs so much money like it does like i know the na3 like the cost is anywhere between like you know four thousand to eight or nine but the usphl like the average cost for a team in minnesota is like probably you know Seventy five hundred or eight thousand, just tuition before billing, and it's like if you're gonna lose that halfway through the season, and because your kid wants a release, because you paid full up front, like that's just stuff that parents need to know.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Couple pointers that are coming for me, like my first thing that I'm gonna throw out there was it's it's come up a few times now is about goalie training, right? Um, it's one of my biggest biggest pet peeves that i have out there is um you know goalie training there's there's reasons why europe is spitting out great goaltenders right they're investing in the goaltending training and so when they're not getting it over mm-hmm. here you're like okay guys w- like what's going on one of the most highly specialized positions on the ice and they don't have something dedicated to them right mm-hmm. i think I, I i've said this a couple of times i went to uh usa hockey training I don't know if it's level four, level five, but they brought in an NHL goalie coach who – or a, goal, a former goaltender to give a talk, and his advice to uh, the teams were just get some pucks on the goalies. And I, I took everything in my power not to scream out at that guy like, how much of an effing moron are you? Just throw pucks at the goalie. Yeah, that's all we need, just pucks <coughs> thrown at us. That, that really helps us train, right? Like, dear right. lord. You know, so that's one major thing because I can't blame a goaltender. Like, yeah, I want some dedicated training to focus on my game. I want somebody dissecting how I'm moving, right? How I'm tracking everything to help me get better. And just throwing pucks at a goalie is not going to do that, right? Right. Because if that's the case, then why the NHL goalies need a a goalie coach, right?
0: Right. Right. Mm.
2: But going back to, you know, even talking about junior hockey, it it happens in the NHL too, right? So I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie, so you have enough enough people that end up playing, you know, getting drafted and going through. And if you're not a top-tier guy, you know, and you get an injury, you're, you know, dropped off, you know, the team bus leaves without you and you're finding your own way back home. If you're injured if you're not and this could have this was years ago it could have changed by now but you know i heard multiple stories of that well you know i was at the hospital and the plane took off and my, you know my you know my agent had to come by and pick me on up and get me on over to the next game i'm like yeah there's some brutalness in you know even at that level right so we need people like you out there that are going to help you know push people through and expose you know um uh, some really piss poor practices going on.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest thing you look at is you see those top organizations, you know, in the USPHL. And the one that I always go back to is the Minnesota blue Ox, right. Who, you know, the part owners are Bruce and crystal Boudreaux. And you look at what Jay Witta has, you know, they have a skating coach, they have a goalie coach, they have, you know, a special coach on the ice for, you know, like small area games They have their off-ice academy. It's like that to me is just the, the perfect example of giving the players everything they need. And sure, are they on a down year this year? Sure they are. But they give the player everything they need, whether it's the goalie or the forwards or the D. Like they have so many things that they give. And I just don't know why other programs can't model themselves after something like that, where it's like you give the player everything they need to get better.
0: The the blue ox just seem to do it right. Like it's a it's a fun organization to watch. Um, I know uh, as much as I might love some of their jerseys, um, and some of my counterparts do not. But uh, I, the way they do things and. My interactions with the organization, which hasn't been a ton, but have been a few, they're very positive. Um, mm-hmm. We follow each other, which is always a big thing. They just seem to do things right, and it just seems to be the way Brujo runs not only that program, but I believe he also owns the Hershey Cubs. Yep. And so they just seem to be two programs that are operating the proper way of doing junior hockey.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, I've known Jay since, you know, God, like, I think 2014. And you know, I, I mean, this is the most contact I've had with him this year since I started the page, and he's always sending me messages like, "Hey, you know, thanks for you know the great content and this and that, and blah blah." And I always reply back, I'm like, you know, Jay, like you guys are doing it right, like it deserve it deserves to be known that you guys are doing it the right way and bringing in all these extra things that honestly, there's no other team in the Midwest West or Midwest East that even has anything close to what the blue ox have as far as a staff as a whole with everything they offer.
0: That's incredible. And that's the stuff, you know, people want to know and parents, I'm sure there's a bunch of parents right now contacting the Minnesota blue ox, but if a program out there be like the blue ox, truthfully, I won't say it's not that hard, but it's not that hard. Follow through with your promises. Truthfully, right. Like if you're going to be taking the the money from these parents and taking away these years, from time with their children, because that's, uh, I mean, money's one thing, right? They're they're pumping in all this money to these programs, but you're taking away years, potentially, from these parents being able to be with their children growing up. Like, they are sending their children off to these programs because they believe that's the best way to develop them, and that's the best thing for their future. And when they get there, and it's not, and they still lose all that money, I'm sure – what most of these parents are mostly upset about as much as you know money's hard to get you can't get time back they can get that money back in time but they can't get that time back with their children yet they sent their children off to these programs to get that development that they were promised and they're not getting it that's rough that's that's
1: something they can't get back right exactly and i just i think back to not only my career but also like you know my brothers too like you know I went out to Colorado, you know, right after my senior year, you know, he went up to Vernon right after his senior year. And then, you know, he played in Fargo after that, and then Tri-City and Sioux City. And it's like our, you know, our parents lost a lot of time, you know, with their two sons. And you think about, you know, how mm-hmm. long, our, how long the decision process was for us. Like, I mean, I remember my whole entire senior year, it was like, okay, where are we gonna go? Where are we gonna put you? Where's the best fit? And That's the same thing for my brother, too, It's like, where are we gonna go? And I just i I don't share this too often, but I, just, I remember the morning that my dad and I were leaving for car, and was we were pulling out of the driveway, and my mom is just standing at the end of the driveway, and she's just bawling her eyes out because she's losing her son. You know, she doesn't know if it's the best decision. And I think about that moment and I think about all these horror stories that I've seen over the past couple months. You know, from these parents that send these their kids to these teams in these leagues, and it just breaks my heart. It's like I think about my little guy that plays hockey right now as a mite, and I'm like, I couldn't I could never ever stomach that feeling of sending my kid somewhere and having a beast like you know, having my kid sleep on an apartment floor in the owner's apartment. Yeah. Like, why isn't he in a billet house? Like it's just things like that that I think that parents these days just they just jump so quick they hear they hear junior a hockey they're like oh my god oh my god but guess what like true junior a really doesn't exist anymore at the tier three level i don't think i i just i i think that junior a is so oh, so oversold these days and it, and it just like to me it just it's just almost a little sickening with what some of the leagues and programs do
2: yeah sleeping on the floor of the owner's room that's yeah yeah that's just mind numbing um yeah but even as a parent you know just the same thing you know uh over to you andrew was like you know i couldn't imagine sending my daughter on off right so right if you have these ones that just don't care like you said there's some out there that are out there for the money they don't care what these guys are doing on the side as long as they don't look bad right and that's where some of this is getting lost you know there's there's a lot more to it than the hockey side of things right and just that example you gave of somebody sleeping on the floor are you kidding me
1: yeah like that's and i mean it's unbelievable and it, i mean it, and it came it came in a in a dm on you know my tiktok page from a parent off of a video that i made you know about one of the leagues and you know and then another one came and so like i mean i got like three or four from the same league on these parents just saying like how horrendous the situation is and i and i get it like you know you're young and And again, I always go back to like, you know, I had just turned 18. I had never been away from home, let alone 2000 miles. And you're living with this random family and and you're homesick and you're there to do a job and you're there to, you know, perform well. But like, you know, it mentally and emotionally, you know, it's I'm sure you guys can compare it to is like, it's just it's such just a strain mental and emotionally when you're in a new place and you're with a new family and you just have to pretend like you know everything's fine yeah yeah
2: i had a brother who went to go play tier two junior a in the Muskokas, and his problem was his billet used it you know when my parents would send over money and teams would send over the money uh she wasn't she was unemployed during the winter months so she wasn't feeding my brother (laughs) so like it was the nutrition level wasn't there now my brother wasn't uh Super high into nutrition, unfortunately, but the goaltender of the team, this guy, was in impeccable shape, ate pristine, you know, because he saw himself that his body was his mechanic to get him, you know, where he wanted to go with his hockey career, right? So I remember my my parents just sending up food and doing all this stuff, and then you know eventually like reach out the coach saying, what the hell is going on here? And then he got hooked up with probably the best family he could have ever gotten, you know, as billets. they were amazing to him. But it does it does happen that way, too. Right. So me sitting back wondering, I think I would have been my brother would have been around 16 at the time. So sort I of mean, be 14 going, how the hell do you take somebody in and not feed them?
1: Right. right? And, I, and I think that's how the whole process or landscape of junior hockey has changed, too, is. Like, you know, when I when I went away, you know, and after the main camp and training camp, you know, they had a billet family meeting and you really got to sit down with all the billet families and make sure that it was the right fit. And I was fortunate. Like I got put into a great family. Like it was an Italian family. They had two other kids close to my age. Like they fed me galore. They <laughs> awesome,
2: Hold know, on. Like, you. I, I, grew up, I grew up in a pretty heavily populated Italian area, buddy. You ate, you okay. ate well. You ate well. You ate <laughs> oh, more than you wanted to eat sometimes, buddy.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, I mean, we would – so we would fly everywhere, right? Like, we – because, you know, coming out of Denver, like, you know, the teams were in, like, Oklahoma, Texas, Cali, Utah. We flew everywhere. And so, like, she would pack me food to eat, like, at the airport. And it was always freaking pasta. Like, every time it was – probably never changed. It was always pasta. You know, but it's just like – it's like you don't – think. Things like that I don't see these days because I hear the horror stories of billet families. And I'm like, isn't there the proper structure where you meet the family, you know where your kid's going. Cause if there was, then kids wouldn't be sleeping on the owner's apartment's floor with a freaking blanket and a pillow. Right? Like, I mean, it's just like, that's, you know, it's just how things just are not like they used to be in junior hockey.
2: Well, like I said, I'm glad we got people like you out there advising parents and pushing things, and then you know hold, hopefully holding teams accountable too, right, so yeah, because again, you know it's hard to get back those years, you know really tough to get back those years as as a as a as a as a teenager and as a parent, right? those are such formidable years for you, and the other thing is about you know your love of the game, right, so you know, I got burnt out in hockey at one point, uh, and it was just more or less not playing at a high enough level to keep me happy. But I walked away from the game for a little while. It's just disheartening, and hearing stuff like that, I couldn't imagine sending my kid to a different country and them having a bad experience, right? And I know that you're you, you're doing a good job too of highlighting the good experiences and promoting those good teams. So you know, I don't want everything to be negative coming out of this. So you know, kudos for doing that as well. You know, and directing people, and then hopefully, you know, the, the programs that are struggling right now can listen to something like this and. You know, and try to get their acts together, or reach out to organizations that are doing really well. You know, and find the secrets
1: for success. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the programs that I always say. You know, I mean, like in the NA3, you know, the the good ones that I always talk about are Granite City and Rochester. You know, like those are the two in Minnesota that are always good. Like Rochester won it all last year. You know, in the USPHL, it's you know, like the Blue Ox do it well. You know, Hudson Hudson has always been a program. You know, even you know Brett Wall being there, and now Jake Howie and Dean Tafolius, like they're doing it well again. The rebranding in Isanti seems to be going good for the most part. I mean, you don't we don't hear a lot too much about, you know, what, what's going on in Isanti? We just see the record, you know. But even like the Minnesota Moose too. Like I've known John Jonasson for a very long time. You know, he coached myself and my brother. Like you know, they do a really good job. You know, so it's just like I, there there are a lot of programs out there that do it well. I think that you just have to do the research. Like you have to see how long they keep kids for. You have to see how many kids they're going to carry. You have to see, do those kids advance you know, in two years or do they advance in three years or do they just never go anywhere at all? You know, and I mean, I know there's a few teams that I've been hard on, like the Minnesota Squatch, where, you know, it's an expansion team and, you know, they came in, you don't know a lot about them, but they're, they're a good team this year. And, you know, they moved up their they moved up McAlpine, you know, who was the leading, you know, point getter in, in the league. And so it's just like, you have to look deeper than just the statistics. I think it's like, you have to actually find someone that knows the coach knows the GM knows the owner. You know, you have to find that stuff. And it's really not that hard. I mean, a simple message to, like, you guys or myself or someone else, it's like, if you're connected, like, you'll you'll be able to find out what's going on.
0: It is. It's so hard to figure out what some of these organizations are doing. But, you know, parents and players that are listening can always reach out to, you know, someone like Gus or someone like you or, again, do their research. Who's covering that league? Who's covering that level? And find out who knows something. Because... If there's a league or a level out there, somebody out there is covering it and knows more than you do. And so ask them because they have the information. And teams out there that are kind of sweating it listening to this episode, you should be sweating it. Because I honestly feel bad programs, times are numbered. You know, I don't think the 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 future of junior hockey is gonna lay in programs that exploit parents and 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 the players junior hockey should be the development level that the players get more than what's even promised. That's what junior hockey should be. If, if if parents are going to lose time with their kids and they're going to have moms bawling their eyes out while their son's backing out of the driveway to go live with another family for seven months, there should be more than enough compensation for that family going to an organization. Goalie coaching, if they're a goalie, proper coaching, proper. They should be fed, Steve. Um, it should <laughs> need be. More, hey, Chris, we need more Italian.
2: We need more Italian. Nobody will be hungry.
0: Yeah. The Bell families are critical. And honestly, that's one of the things I think. Again, I will just say that I think programs that are running, let's just say a money grab on on parents and players and you can hear this stuff too honestly if you listen to neutral zones podcast everybody um they'll talk about the same stuff and uh there's programs that are just money grabs and if you're those programs i really honestly 100 believe your time's limited if you're not giving these kids and these parents what has been promised through that amount of money and that time away from the kids they'll never get back your program deserves to be buried and it deserves to be exposed 100 percent. That deserves to be development time and some of the best experiences of their lives. Seriously. It's
2: great that we're doing a, you know, organizations get your shit together. Let's talk some more yeah. of the positive stuff that Andrew's, you know, because this is positive. Don't get me wrong. Right. But like some of the yeah. other things that you're doing on top of it, too. Right. Like let's let's get everything out there for you. So we're giving you the proper exposure.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, just the education and things like that, I think, is the biggest piece. I mean, unless you guys see other, you know, other things as well that I don't maybe see, you know.
2: You know, no, absolutely. It's great that you're giving everybody the proper, you know, path down to, you know, junior hockey, what to expect, you know, you know, what they're looking at as far as teams. go, Right. So and as any organization, I, I would love to know what I'm not doing right, what I can always do better. So you would hope that they would take on that mentality, especially because, you know, if you've got a high stakes owner, you know, a former NHL player or anybody, it's your name that's behind that team. So I wouldn't want my name being drugged down, too, because, you know, I'm not doing my job properly right but on the other hand you know because you've already highlighted the great teams right of pointing out what they're doing so well to take care of their players right and again like it's 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 great to have you on to talk about this stuff because we n- never see that side of it you know as fans and chris and i you know he said it you can sometimes see on the ice and you know and it's true like you can never tell uh <laughs> it's not necessarily an indication for wins or goals against or anything like that as far as how a team is truly truly put together right. Right. Um, but you can see some indication when other stuff is going on. Right. You can see the the players attitudes on the ice, how hard they're working, you know, the camaraderie of the team. You know, you can see stuff like that when it's affected, when it's not a good organization ver- versus when it's properly run.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, the on ice performance, definitely. Um, I think a big thing that I am able to find, too, is, you know, how they are off the ice Right, you know, you can tell like when I go watch games, you know, I go to the ones in Minnesota and things like that. You know, I'll I'll just wait and see, you know, how they come out of the game, you know, if it's a loss or a win or, you know, how they react from a bad play and and things like that. And I think that's just a testament to the team as a whole. You know, when you go out and recruit, it's like, are you just recruiting based on the on ice skill or or are you recruiting based on on ice skill and off ice skill because you know the year that I coached here too and I went to all the showcases you know the CCM in Denver the Vegas one Nashville I didn't just look at the on ice performance like I I sat down with the players I sat down with the players and the parents I figured out who they were you know off the ice what their home life was like how they grew up I think that matters a lot too and I think you see that with the really good teams like you see that they have guys that, you know, are dedicated on and off the ice. So you know, I watched the, the Hudson Havoc squash game the other night. Uh, I think it was on Sunday and you can just see like the guys that Hudson has this year, you know, they're, they're so focused and, you know, there there is no extra baloney after the whistle. There are there is no cheap stuff. There's anything like that. But then on the other side, you know, at the end of the game, they lost an OT. You know, it's a tough game. You can hear one of the players, you know, slamming his stick on the boards and and, and dropping you know f bombs. And even throughout the game, like you could hear. You know, their bench, you know, their players are getting frustrated and they're throwing, you know, swear words out there. But what'd you hear from the Hudson side? You heard nothing at all. And I think that is just the difference between, you know, how a team that's been around. I mean, Hudson's been around forever. Like they were the Crusaders back in the Minnesota Junior Hockey League. You know, they know they know how to run a team and you bring in a brand new team where it's a mix of guys you had to put together in a span of like one or two months, maybe three months. And they're just not there in a sense. So it, it made me question: Are they getting the proper coaching? Are they, you know, are they getting what they need? Because if you're going to go to college after this, that's not allowed, right? Like you're not slamming sticks on the bench. You're not dropping, you know, swear words on on the bench. So I think it's things like that that you can decipher between the really good programs that have lasted for a long time and one that is brand new or one that may only be around for a couple years is again, we see teams that are only offered three or four years and then they disappear.
0: Yeah. You see that in junior hockey and it makes you really question what certain organizations and programs are doing, but uh, you know, it's great to have those programs that are doing things well and have been around and been a staple of the junior hockey community for a while. And there's a, well, generally there's a reason for that. So before we wrap this episode up, what do you think junior hockey programs, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of it so far, but what do you think junior hockey programs in terms of what they're promising players and what those players are getting in terms of experience-wise, what are the programs, basically, how do I put this, uh, the most successful programs, whether or not the season's successful, regardless, but the most successful junior hockey programs, what are their core elements that really make them an organization you want your kid to play for and an organization, these players should be looking to identify.
1: I think it's all has to do with like the past player development, right. And, and how many players have moved on to continue in hockey and not even in hockey, but just like in life in general, like, right. Like, you know, if a kid comes to a junior hockey organization, you know, it it shouldn't just be about hockey. Like you should be preparing them for the rest of their life but through hockey, like teaching them how to be an adult, teaching them how to respect coaches as like their boss when they move on to have a corporate job or whatever. And, get, and, and, and for me, like I hate the word promises because there's just I've just seen so many empty promises over you know the 15 years that I've been coaching. More or less, it's like, listen, if you want a player that bad on your team, then you better make damn sure that you are going to follow through on everything you say, because at the end of the day, that kid has hundreds of teams that he could choose from. Right. So it's like, if you're going to tell him to come to your team, you better follow through. And, And even if you can't have like a skating coach or a strength coach, even if you can't have that stuff, because say your program is, you know, in the beginning phases, at least just give him a good coach who can develop him and teach him and respect him. Like I I see all these coaches that don't respect the players and you know, they cut down the players during the game and and things like that. It's like these kids, like they're still, they're still being molded at the junior level. I know everyone says like, Oh, once you get to high school or junior college, like, you know, you you should already be that good. But I think that's bullshit. I think that at any level, I mean, I even see with my brother, you know, at, at the professional level, it's like, you can still get better every single year. Right. And so I just think that like, give the kid that benefit.
2: So Andrew, it's a good point, you know, because, you know, I pointed out even how NHL coaches are now evolving. Right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got your hard nosed coaches that you need to bring in to a team like Philly to get them to perform. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that doesn't work with everybody else. Um, right. I'm a, I'm a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. Um, you know, I'm a Coyotes fan because I'm out in this area, too. The coach they brought on in in the interim – well, not even the interim right now. He's handling that team really well, gauging expectations well, handling young players well. Martens right. and we is just doing a phenomenal job because what we saw was young players coming up in the NHL. They make a mistake. They're benched. Right. Well, how the hell are they going to learn – you know, if you're not allowing them to make mistakes, that's part of the game. Make your right. mistakes. Learn from your mistake. You're not going to learn if your, your butt's parked on the bench. And that's right. when you're squeezing the stick more. Like, I can point out Cole Caulfield. Mm-hmm. Think if you can't get Cole Caulfield to score, there's something wrong with you as a coach. Sorry, yeah. but it's not just on the player. There's something else that's going on. And he has been one of the hottest goal scorers in the league since Martin St. Louis took over. He was rivaling right. Matthews and everybody else. So... Yeah, it, it, it a, a proper coach and reaching out to people and connecting makes all the difference. I can just say it from my hockey, you know, me playing, right? I had coaches that, you know, I would have put my neck out in front of a puck, you know, if that was the last thing to stop it, right? right. Because that, that coach meant so much to me. And the other coach, I was like, I don't really care, <laughs> right? right? Right. This guy's just a clown and I'm not going to pay attention to him because of how he treats everybody, right? So right. organizationally all the way through, like coaching makes a huge difference and, you know, you're not just coaching talent, you're coaching a human being. You've got to know how to connect with people on different levels. Not everybody's the same, right? So, Right.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I just, and I think, too, like, you know, the best programs that you see right now, regardless of any junior league, from I mean, you could go from Tier 1 to all the way down to Tier 2 to Tier 3. The best teams and the best programs that have been around for a long time, look at the coaches that they either have or that they've had in the past. and And the direct reflection of that is, okay, like, say you've had a really good coach one year, but then the next year you don't. Well, that's on you as as the owner to – you're not withholding up that standard that you set forth. And I think that, you know, it's not that hard to – because I've been a head coach at the junior level and an assistant coach. Like, it's not that hard to get a good coach in. And let him coach the team how he wants and run the team how he wants and keep him around for a while. But when you get yourself into trouble is when I won't say the team, but, you know, there was a team that, you know, got shut down by the USPHL, you know, early in the season. And one of the excuses was, oh, we had two or three coaching changes, you know, throughout the summer and then in the beginning of the season. Well, guess what? Then that's on you as the owner right? That's not on anyone else. That That's your fault. Because if you can't keep a coach around, that's a really good coach, then that's on you. And players should, players should recognize when you're doing your research. Okay. Where has this coach been prior? How long has he been there prior? How long has he been with the team now? Because that was one of the questions that was hit at me when I took my first head coaching job, you know, was, okay, where were you previously? How long were you there? Where are you there before? And I mean, like I was getting grilled all the time on this and. You know, it's just like that is stuff that I think parents and players need to look at more. Look at the coach's playing history. Look at his coaching history. That'll tell you everything that you need to know to start to make a decision.
0: I think that's an excellent point. And so I think players and and the families and honestly those in the hockey world that are coaching and everything. This is a it, it's it's been an informative episode. And uh, if everyone listening wants to know more about what's been said listen to our previous episode because that's the one we're dropped first and that's our bonus episode so if you're hearing this you've already missed that episode but um i think this is a great place to wrap up boys what you think
1: yeah i appreciate you guys thanks for having me on i I really enjoyed uh being able to come on so i appreciate you guys having me on
2: yeah and thanks andrew again like for you know for doing what you do because everybody needs a good advocate out there so you know thanks for looking out for the the young players in the future of hockey, man, because that's the bottom line on this is if you've got good fundamental programs going on, it's just gonna foster a better game going forward.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean like same to you guys too. I mean what you guys do and what you guys are building to do, I mean, sounds great. Like, I mean, we need more, you know, people out there like, you know, the three of us that are just willing to help kids out and and, and give them the truth.
0: Yeah, and that's what we're here for. So we appreciate you jumping on, Andrew. Again, everyone, give a look at his TikTok channel, Everything Junior Hockey. Definitely give us some likes. Definitely give us some follows. He's uh, got super interesting content. He drops a couple videos a day, and uh, they're very informative, and they talk about a lot of leagues here around North America. Um, but that said, we want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in. Be sure to reach out if you're in the junior or collegiate hockey worlds, and wish you get on a future podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter, PHHOfficial, or on Instagram, at PHHPodcast. And, yes, we have a TikTok now, and that's just Pigeonhole Hockey. Give those a look. Give those a follow. Let us know what you think. This is the Pigeonhole Hockey Podcast with Chris and Steve. Have a great one, hockey fans. And remember, listeners, always clear your crease.